So, Berto, we've been getting a lot of requests to talk about conspiracy theories. Why do you think that is, Berto? Well, I think that right now, because like it's sort of a surreal time, right? Like we've read books, seen movies, but we've never experienced something like this. And I'm talking about like the the virus, but of course, the whole situation surrounding our current timeline is is suspect. Like who's in charge, how they behave, just everything leading up to this point. There, there's been so many events over the last couple of decades that are just really weird. And now that we have so much media. It's just really easy for folks to start asking questions like, but wait, is this really what we think it is? And not to mention that historically, people in power don't tell the truth. So I think right now everyone's like really looking around going like, wait, what is real? What's going on? Who's telling me the, the truth? What's and, and then that sparks a lot of curiosity about uh, what is real, what's not real, who's who's conspiring, what who's pulling the strings. Well, why do you think people believe in conspiracy theories to begin with? Like just not even today, but just generally speaking. There have been so many weird things. Like who did kill JFK? Like what the heck happened there? And and there's so many things that are removed from our common experience. Like like no one really sees a round earth in real in the physical reality. Uh, most people don't. No one sees the moon on the surface of the moon. And these videos look look fake because they're so old and black and white and blah, blah, blah. So I think that there's a lot of stuff where people look at it and go, yeah, that doesn't add up with my normal day-to-day experiences. And I know that people in power lie. uh, And the whole world is a weird thing anyways. Uh, So yeah, like I I believe in conspiracies. Well, that's what we're going to get into today. Why do people believe in conspiracy theories? A lot of people have been asking me this question. Why would people believe that Bill Gates caused the coronavirus? Why do people believe that, you know, this and that? They're watching their family members believe. And it's not just like casual belief systems that some people have. A lot of you out there have family members or you yourself believe in pretty far out there conspiracy theories. And so this is going to be a long episode because I read hundreds of research studies and journal articles because there's been a lot of psychological research into why people believe in conspiracy theories going back for decades, the the studies have. And just in a nutshell, before moving forward, I just want to lay out the factors that we'll get into much later. There's evolutionary psychology factors, which will be fun to talk about, Berto. There are personality factors, meaning differences between humans and their personalities. Culture, context, society plays a role. Research has found that the culture you live in or the the in-group that you live in or the characteristics of the in-group, emotional experiences play a huge role in the emergence of the belief in conspiracy theories. And also what I'm calling cognitive quirks or cognitive biases that all humans have that make us susceptible to conspiracy theories. So we're going to get into all those reasons later. Uh, it's quite complicated. There's a, Like I said, there's a lot of research findings. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I unfold origami and dispose of it. So what are some famous conspiracy theories that you know of just off the top of your head? Who killed JFK? More recent, of course, uh, 9-11 sort of like the Iraq war, the reasons for going to the Iraq war, uh, the Russian uh, relationships between our current administration and Russia. I don't know, other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I had some more time to take some notes here. 
We have 5G is going to control your brain. Right, 5G. We have vaccines and big pharma. Mm -hmm. We have Area 51. Oh, the the chemtrails. That's what I was going to say. Chemtrails. These are all in alphabetical order that I organize them. Climate change, the Clintons are murderers, coronavirus. There's a set of coronavirus theories here that 5G is accelerating it, that Bill Gates caused it, that big pharma and vaccinations people caused it, that Wuhan uh, caused it. That's a biological weapon of that trying to destroy economy. Uh, deep state, various different conspiracies, that Elvis is alive, false flag operations, flat earth, fluoridation, HIV, Holocaust revisionism, Illuminati, various theories, Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein, uh, the Jews, various different theories, the moon landing. Paul is dead, of course. You missed Masons, the Masons. The Masons, the reptilian elite, Sandy Hook, uh, targeted individuals. I don't know if you remember this one, but UPC codes being a satanic conspiracy. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. That's the mark of the beast. Yeah. Weather, yeah. weather being caused by the government. And of course, I can't believe you didn't mention this one, Birdo. Uh-oh. Jar Jar was a Sith Lord. Jar Jar, oh my God, the biggest one of all. <laughs> so what are some yes. conspiracies? So, so let's, now, let's actually contrast this with conspiracy theories that are actually accepted, generally speaking, to be true. What conspiracies can we point towards? You mentioned early Catholicism, but what are some more recent ones in the past hundred years? That, are, um, right. that people generally say, you know what, that was a conspiracy, there was right. a theory about it, and it ended up being true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, as an example, the Iran-Contra scandal was a conspiracy, and it was it was real. <laughs> right. They really were selling weapons uh, to uh, one bad agent to help another bad agent. <laughs> Iraq, there was a conspiracy there, right? Like, there were, were really no... The, the reports were not real, and then there was this conspiracy even to lie to the UN and everything, to give false premises for going to war with Iraq. So other generally accepted conspiracy theories are during Prohibition, the government, the, the U.S. government, poisoned alcohol to discourage people from drinking. What? Yeah. And oh that's my God. generally accepted to be true today. Oh, that's horrible. What's known as the Tuskegee study that spanned oh, several yeah. decades in which... African-American males with syphilis were told that they were given treatment when they weren't, and the researchers were just uh, monitoring the way syphilis affects people instead of Jeez. actually giving, giving them treatment, yeah. So that, that was a, you know, I can't remember, who, I, I did a whole episode on that uh, situation, because that was a, an unethical research study. Tobacco companies... Covered up evidence that smoking was bad for you. Right, right. The Vietnam War, the government knew it was unwinnable years before we pulled out. And then brings us to the present of Jeffrey Epstein, which I have no idea about. I I feel like at some point I want to watch a documentary about the whole thing (laughs) once it gets made. But I know a lot of people consider that to be true. But who knows? Oh, not to mention uh, ExxonMobil, knowing for decades... Uh, that of the impact of carbon on global warming. Right. That's another thing, another real one. Right. So it's not, if we see those things happen, it's not hard to imagine that the government might cover up 
uh, an element of 9-11 or the government or big pharma, since they did the Tuskegee uh, uh, thing, that they wouldn't be motivated by nefarious reasons to do bad things for people and cover up the evidence. Um, so some of these conspiracy theories uh, aren't that far off from what really yeah. happened. Uh, but the thing is, is we have to be able to decide as a society and perhaps as individuals, how do we know if a conspiracy theory is true or false? So, Berto, I, I pose that question for you. How okay. do we know? How do we know if a conspiracy theory, how do we evaluate these theories? Pulling off large projects is already hard enough. When everyone knows what we're supposed to be doing, when everyone knows what date it's supposed to happen, all the variable bubble, it's already hard enough. Things go south all the time. They get delayed. Even when they land, they don't do what they were supposed to do. It's, it's really hard, let alone when it has to involve like hundreds or thousands of people in the know keeping it completely secret and it has to land perfectly and cover up all the little trails or at least have plausible deniability. It just doesn't happen. Humans are not like that. Humans are not that good at anything. Um, so yeah, that's right. one of the ways. That, so, so when your conspiracy involves too many variables, too many people, too much silence, it doesn't, the humans are not like that. Right. So that's one criteria criterion that we can have is what I'm calling likelihood. For example, like you're saying, the likelihood with like Area 51, the likelihood that thousands of government employees uh, would uh, not leak any information and would work as one and would be totally motivated and wouldn't accidentally tell the wrong person. We... All we have to do is look at conspiracies like uh, like with Bush, for example. He had every reason, him and his people, had every reason to drum up evidence that there were weapons of mass destruction. They, they could have done that if – I mean I guess that was – they could have tried to do that, right? Could have dropped in a few uh, buckets of this and that or drums of this and yeah. that or trace elements of this and that and – Maybe they did try, but if they did, it it didn't work, and I suspect they didn't even try because yeah. th it's just it takes too many people to lie. It takes too many moving parts to orchestrate such a thing. And right. before we knew it, it's like okay, so the the press essentially uh, because of their ability to ask enough questions basically discovered what is the consensus truth now was that there was there were no ma weapons of mass destruction and there were tons of people telling the bush administration there are no weapons there's no evidence of weapons of mass right. there's very slight evidence but it's not enough evidence and uh and even though the bush administration had every reason to try to make a case for that moving forward they failed at that right and with all the money and the power and the influence and the, and the loyalty among people, they couldn't pull off convincing everyone that there were, there were good reasons to invade. So that's just an example of that. So it's a tough question. How do we know if a conspiracy theory is true? How do we know anything, really? You know, how, how do I yep. know that the coronavirus has, in fact, actually killed people? I, 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 how do I even know that? I, I, that could be a massive conspiracy. 
right. potentially <laughs> that involves millions of people. It, is Donald Trump a real person? How do I know that Donald Trump isn't just a puppet rep, reptile person? Ha, have I met Donald Trump? Have I peeled back his skin to look for the reptile underneath? No, I don't know he's not a reptile. How do I know that? He, now, again, or I'm guessing for people, it's like, well, those are absurd questions. But it is a, a very important philosophical question that you, right. we have to return to when we think about conspiracy theories. How do we know what we know? And so very quickly, I came up with the following criteria. So number one is the press. And we don't only rely on the press, but we do rely on the press to investigate, to get eyewitness accounts, to report on things. And by the press, I mean like lots of press outlets, not just one press out, press outlet, like just M MSNBC or just Fox News. We're talking right. about lots of respected press reporters who have a track record of uh, doing their best to report the, the facts. Also, number two is eyewitness accounts from credible individuals. But we can't know for sure, right? Because I people can lie. How do we know a credible individual? But that is something to uh, rely on. On some, and of course, the press uh, will report those people. But sometimes with Twitter, people eyewitness accounts can they can just report themselves, right? They can be in Libya as the you know the spring or what do they call it? <laughs> Democratic spring, Arab spring, Arab spring. And they're on the streets with their phones taking pictures of, of riots and this sort of thing. And, and so that's an eyewitness account. Now, of course, that can be doctored, but it's one way. Another, uh, the third way is experts. Experts are supposedly able to understand and piece together all the information, and they pay attention to all the information. When I hear people listening to other people about psychology things— and they're listening to a non-expert, like some hack on the internet, it drives me crazy. I'm like, why are you listening to this hack? This person has no idea what they're talking about. Me and my people, we're experts. We've done the research. We, we've, we've gone to school. We've talked to people. We've done the research. You know, Number four is consensus, not only among experts, but also among uh, important people, if you will. <laughs> so what's the consensus, like with global warming? There are some scientists who believe that the uh, global warming and climate change is not due to humans, but the consensus, something like 99%, agree that it is. So uh, that's pretty strong evidence. We don't only rely on that because sometimes the consensus can be wrong, but it is something to look to. Number five is just direct evidence, like a video recording or uh, uh, like with the coronavirus being uh, engineered and a bioweapon. There's evidence that researchers have found in the virus uh, that is an indication that it could not have been engineered. I can't remember the exact uh, finding, but stuff like that. And number yeah. six is that what you brought up, Berto, which is the likelihood. You know, what's the likelihood that thousands of people managed to pull off a conspiracy without leaking any information? Um, now, what is how, how do we know what we know? Uh, so those are those are the six things I can think of. There's probably others. But now, what we should not rely upon are people speculating on the internet or on news editorials. We should not rely on that. We can listen to them, but those aren't those have nothing to do with our ability to understand whether or not something is true. 
uh, biased content providers like Alex Jones, or I'm sure there are, we could come up with people on the left who are just notably biased. And those sorts of people, you can't really listen to them only particularly uh, because they've shown a track record of, of bias. And that's their, that's their entertainment value to their, to their people. They, they provide a biased point of view and uh, people like that. They pay for that service, so for that entertainment, if you will. And so those people should, should not be listened to. They're not the consensus. They don't present evidence in a non-biased way. They don't rely on actual eyewitness accounts or experts. You know, rumors on Twitter should not be uh, valued. And, of course, one scientist's opinion should not be a uh, evidence of something that, that happened. You, you want to look to the consensus within the field, not just one person or a, or a couple people. By the way, that, 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 whole, that one, the whole appeal to authority, uh, man, that was driving me so nuts because for a while, the last few months, I would see all these posts on social media of like, my cousin's neighbor is a nurse on the front lines and she had this to say. And then it's some random quote about how it is or isn't serious or what, whatever, you know. And it's like, first of all, this person doesn't exist. I don't buy it. <laughs> Second, who cares what some random nurse somewhere says about something? Like, it, it's, it's just, but people read that and like, oh, well, it's a nurse on the front lines. We must pay attention to this random post on the internet because it apparently comes from some nurse on the front lines. Right. So that brings up a, another point here, which is I don't um, blame people regular people who aren't in the sciences, who don't have a doctorate degree, who don't spend a lot of time thinking about this sort of thing. Uh, I don't blame them for not knowing these principles because we don't teach this in society. We don't, we don't teach it in school uh, sufficiently anyway. So when they hear that a friend of theirs talk to a friend of theirs about a thing and that's the one piece of information that they're going to get in that week, then they're like, okay, well, it must be true. You know, it, it's similar to someone, a friend of yours says, you know, I have a friend that went to Lake Tahoe, and did you know that Lake Tahoe is really polluted and gross? Like, they, <laughs> right. you, you, you wouldn't go like, you're a liar. I want to look up on the internet to see if that's true. <laughs> You'd just be like, huh, I didn't oh, know that. Yeah, you, you, would just, you, you would just download that information. Why would you not accept that to be true? Right. Uh, you're, you're, either your friend is lying or your friend's friend is lying. Uh, and why would they do that? And so it makes sense that people have a hard time sifting through this. And we do a terrible job. One of the things that I think about late at night when I'm trying to fall asleep and I'm fantasizing about like different things to fall asleep to, like one of the ways you can fall asleep is what if I could, what if I had a million dollars, you know, what would I spend it on? And then your brain kind of sl slowly falls asleep. I usually only spend about $80,000 and then, <laughs> and then I just fall asleep. It, it's a, it's a somewhat common trick to plan your brain to fall asleep. Well, one of the tricks that I plan myself every now and then is, what would I do if I was president? And one of the very first things I would do would, would be to get some experts. And I would say, I get to be on TV every night for a half an hour. I control the, the FCC. I'm going to be on TV. It's a public service. And I'm not going to try to get elected. All I'm going to do, and I, I'm going I'm to crash and burn in four years. I'm, I'm not even going to try to get reelected because 
that would ruin my experience. So I'm going to get a bunch of experts onto the, sh- onto the show, and I'm going to have pie charts and PowerPoints, and I'm, I'm going to try to make it entertaining. Bill Nye the Science Guy or something, another Seattleite. And I'm going to explain the premise of how to sift through information. How do, you, how do you know what you know? How can you tell a credible source from a not credible source? And I would stay away from any kind of, uh, uh, you know, partisan uh, landmines, if you will. And that would be one of the things I would do anyway. So, That's great. <laughs> so it makes sense, you know, that, that we don't know that. Now, so let's evaluate. Bef- so, again, bef- a little bit later, we're going to go into the full research on all the factors, personality, emotion, evolutionary psychology. But again, before we do that, I just want to uh, look into one conspiracy theory and how do we know that it's true or not true. Let's look at flat earth. So, and let's use my, my six pieces here. So the press, there's universal acceptance that the, that the earth is not flat. And there doesn't seem to be any credible press. Like It's not like the New York Times has one rogue uh, columnist who is <laughs> writing about how, you know what, they make a good point. No one in the credible press universe is saying that the earth is flat. That's because they're all in on it, but sure. And then we have... Eyewitness accounts. We have fought to date. We have 566 people who have been to space and seen the Earth in all of its uh, spherical glory. It's um, it's actually an oblate spheroid. Don't don't email me. And and thousands of scientists who have viewed pictures. Uh, you know, all those people have actually eyewitnessed the Earth being a oblate spheroid. Experts. Every geologist. Every astronomer, everyone who works in any science having anything to do with the Earth, gravity, astrophysics, everyone agrees. There, I, I, there's not. There's probably not a. If there are, it's probably like one in a in ten thousand of these experts uh, will claim that there might be a flat Earth. Uh, consensus, like I said, hundred percent consensus, no debate for centuries. We're not talking just past two years. We're talking. Since Galileo, and or you know, actually since the ancient right. Greeks, there's been a consensus that the Earth is is round. Um, and then we look at evidence: ships on the horizon, the the fact that gravity works all around the planet, all other bodies in the universe are spheres, the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets rising and setting, also all spheres. Uh, the ISS going around the the Earth. Actual pictures, air travel, etc. You know, all, there's all this evidence that we can point to, and then of course, what you brought up, Berto, the likelihood, the likelihood that literally millions of individuals throughout history, from every country in the world, by the way, we're not just billion, talking, right? <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about just the United States. We're talking about every country, countries who hate each other, everyone working together in concert, conspiring together for what? Why would they cons- why would they want to conspire against a flat earth idea? That's the question. That's yeah. the right question, Kirk. And the physics make no sense. So, and I could go on and on. There's there's much more evidence. And of course, the flat earthers will have their own version of quote-unquote evidence, but to me, it's very convincing because I've never seen the the round earth. Um I've never even right. done I've never even done the ship on the horizon experiment. I don't yeah. think I've done the the sun on the horizon experiment, but 
Um, but, you know, I'm, I believe based on what people are telling me and why, because of all those reasons. Also, Kirk, I don't know if you've noticed, but like pools where you swim, they're not round. So, I mean, <laughs> come on. So, Berto, is believing in conspiracy theories a recent thing and or a U.S. thing? Uh, no, I, I would not imagine so. I mean, first of all, growing up in Colombia, there were absolutely real and non, and who knows, <laughs> there were real and probably quite fabricated uh, conspiracies of all sorts growing up, like I mentioned, including at a uh, universal kind of deity level. Like there were absolutely conspiracies I grew up with learning about that involved gods and angels and demons and popes and things. And so I don't believe it's U.S. only for sure. I also don't believe it's recent at all. Uh, I, I mean, for example, just the fact that there were pyramids built, pyramids, like built, like the, the kind of tech and time and all these things, like that is a conspiracy. <laughs> like that required so much coordination and stuff. And I guarantee you that the people at the bottom had no say-so, had no understanding why that was even being done. So, like, in some ways that, uh, you know, these things go back way, way, way. And then the, the bad side, or, like, the fake conspiracies, ditto, because, you know, we are pattern-forming machines, and so any number of patterns or any number of signals get interpreted as pattern. And, and so, yeah, so I think that these things go back as, as old as we can go. Right. Uh, research has found that conspiracy theories have a similar prevalence around the world and throughout history from industrialized modern societies to traditional societies. For example, Amazon Indians in South America have found that they blame mysterious deaths on a conspiracy from an enemy village. Um, and what, what do you, But what do you think about this, Brito? Have there been an increase or a decrease or stay the same in the United States since 1890, there was a research uh, study oh. that looked into that. Do we oh, have interesting. more or less conspiracy theories from then uh, to Well, I, naively, I would say uh, there's more because right. there's the Internet and there's people sharing conspiracy theories. I mean, it certainly seems that way, right? It seems that way. It seems like a modern thing. And it, it's hard to imagine people in 1890. It's like, well, what would they have right. a conspiracy theory about? Like, <laughs> weren't they just like riding on those bicycles with those big wheels and, you know, <laughs> top of the morning to you kind of things? Like, they were simple people. No. Research found, they analyzed uh, the way they did this. And, of course, it's just one line of evidence. But they analyzed over 100,000 letters sent to major U.S. newspapers between 1890 uh -huh. and today. And there's been no increase in the letters promoting conspiracy theories. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's hard to know, but at least on that line of evidence, it's, it's been stable in the United States for 120 years. It's just something that we do. I can see them being like, oh, my gosh, I figured it out. Those bikes with the big wheels on the front, they want to do that on purpose because that's like the earth and the moon. And they're trying to send a signal that the, the earth and the moon are really all one if we ride together as one peoples. It's a conspiracy, man. Well, you could imagine conspiracies about radio uh, devices, you know, radio, lis radio oh, yeah. listening devices in your house, TVs in your house, electricity in your house, uh, car conspiracies, industrial right. conspiracies. Um, 
So, and also from ancient history, we can find some examples here. Roman citizens 2,000 years ago believe that Nero deliberately had ignited the great fire of Rome in the year 64 AD. Uh, this I is, thought that that was true. Is, similar, is that not the case? Uh, well, they be, well, I don't think we know. I don't think we could say, but that's, Roman That's citizens, how far that conspiracy spread, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and this is similar to 9-11 truthers, right? It's like, well, of course, you know, our president did it. Medieval times, you had conspiracy theories about Jewish people in various different fashions, resulting in massacres of these people. Uh, the, the Holocaust during World War II was not an isolated event. Let's just put it that way. So before moving forward, some, of, some people out there might be thinking, well, what's the difference? You know, because my mom who believes in, not my mom, but as an example, some of you out there might be thinking, my family member believes in a conspiracy theory. And it seems kind of like a mental illness. Like they seem strangely adherent to this wackadoo notion. It just seems like, and isn't this like a mental illness? So what's the difference between believing in a conspiracy theory and a mental illness, Brito? <laughs> okay. Um, well, as always, I think there's a matter of degrees. Uh, for example, if someone believes in conspiracy theories, but not only, you know, because we were at a cocktail party and they're like, dude, you know what they're putting in ice cubes lately, you know, but in, instead it's like every day they wake up. But first of all, they, they have trouble sleeping because they wake up in the middle of the night worried about their conspiracies. They miss work. They lose their job because they get in arguments, fights, whatever. Like, oh, and actually, they don't even want to go to work because that one's in on the conspiracy. They, you know what I'm saying? Like they start having dysfunction and it affects their relationships and their life then I think that they're exhibiting symptoms of some sort of mental illness that part of it is and or triggered by this excessive compulsion about conspiracies. But that's very different from, you know, the average individual going like, yeah, I'm pretty sure 9-11 was started by aliens or whatever. Right. So it raises a lot of questions and there's a lot of definitions and there's a lot of gray zone, if you will. But the way that I'm going to put it is that there are obviously people who suffer from full-blown clinical disorders like schizophrenia, delusional disorder, psychotic, bipolar, you know, uh, delusional, delusions with mania, this kind of thing. And those are pretty obvious. When, when you see those people, uh, they will believe that the government is listening to their thoughts through the fillings in their teeth or that the dog next door is barking because... The FBI is influencing the dog to bark to signal to them about something. Or uh, was that the son of Sam? Was was that the FBI that he thought that was? Uh, coincidentally, yeah. I, I actually um, had a client who had uh, that. Okay. And that's the other thing is they often will have very similar themes to them. Okay. And anyway, so those people are suffering from a very terrible mental illness that is just awful and. It's pretty clear for those people. Now, sometimes people suffer from mild symptoms of schizophrenia, mild symptoms of mania and delusion. How do we know the difference between that and say they believe in you know, and they think often about you know, 10, 20 different conspiracy theories that to you seem strange and wackadoo? What's the difference between 
those people, do those people have a mental illness? Well, I'm here to tell you that it's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the, the, the assessor's opinion. Like I said, there are full-blown that 100% of clinicians will say, oh, yeah, that person has schizophrenia. That conspiracy belief system is an outgrowth. Well, so the other thing is that I'll say is that you can suffer from schizophrenia, be psychotic, have delusions, have hallucinations, and also just independently believe in a conspiracy theory. Just because you have schizophrenia doesn't mean that every thought you have is seen as an outgrowth of your schizophrenia. You can have schizophrenia and, for example, fall in love or like a ham and cheese sandwich. That doesn't mean that all those experiences have to do with your illness. So how do you know the difference? If a person suffering from schizophrenia believes that 9-11 was an inside job, is that part of the schizophrenia or not? Well, eye of the beholder. You, know, you really just have to uh, yeah. say, well, how do you define these kinds of things? So that the literature likes to act like there's this firm line, but I'm here to tell you that it's, there's not. Now, I will also say that there are plenty of people who believe in conspiracy theories who to you, might seem mentally ill, but they don't exhibit what we would call mental illness in the DSM, meaning that they don't have a consistent pattern of uh, um, delusional belief systems. And typically, when you are suffering from a mental illness, the, the typical way it plays out is you believe that the world is against you. Like, it's not mm. your people. It's that the CIA is following you. It's it's very right. per- persecutory, individualized. It's most of the time. Whereas conspiracy theories mainly have to do with a group that is doing something to another group, and you're part of the of the group that's being harmed or something. So a couple of things come to mind. Uh, one is I've I've been someone that uh, believes in things that other people make fun of sometimes or think is is a little conspiratorial in nature, but it usually has to do with health-related things or food-related things. Uh, as an example, a friend of mine notoriously uh, would make fun of me. She had this thing on her fridge that was a running list of my little weird things about certain foods or whatever, and I didn't even realize it. And then one day I said something. She's like, oh, let me add it to the list. And I'm like, what the heck? Uh, and, you know, because it's stuff like, I'd say like, oh, I don't drink tap water. Why not? Well, I just don't want the chlorine or the fluoride. Okay. And then another time like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I tend not to cook in aluminum foil. Why not? Well, because some of the aluminum leaches. Or I don't use microwaves. Why not? I just think the microwave does something weird to anything with meat or anything. and Things like that. And then, you know, am I being conspiratorial? I guess. But to me, they're real things that I feel taste or don't, or maybe I read an article or whatever, you know, for whatever combination of reason. And, and so, but I've, I felt a little bit like I'm a conspiracy theorist sometimes because of those things. But you don't believe that it's a mass conspiracy against the human population. Oh, right. No, no, no. It's more like I, I believe in the greed of corporations because corporations are not one individual. It's a system set up to kind of always have to make profits. And so when you need to cut corners and you need to not dispose properly of things or you need to blah, 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 or simply that we, we accelerate our development in one area, but don't have enough time to catch up with the implications of that thing. So, but that's different from, yes, there's a secret smoky room filled with 10 individuals that are all trying to destroy us. right? Right. However, I have a relative that absolutely believes in that reality, that there is the 
powers that be, the one world government, they are absolutely out, out to destroy us. They're very much in league with Satan. It's the whole enchilada. Yeah, so later on when we get to the factors, let's go over the, the factors that relate to this family member of yours because we might yep. see a lot. So now some people say, well, who cares about these people believing in conspiracy theories? It's just harmless beliefs. You know, they just believe this thing. Who cares? You know, if you believe 9-11 was an inside job, what's the big deal? You know, it's, it's just the or, the or the earth is flat. Who cares? It's just this weird. Why do we need to concern ourselves with this? What do you think, Berto? Uh, well, first of all, at the surface level, sure, people believe all sorts of weird stuff. The, the challenge is, number one, uh, if if it gets big enough to where people start voting a certain way or trying to infringe on rights because of a certain belief system, that absolutely has repercussions. Second, when it gets in the way of passing restrictions, legislation, uh, limits on things, take, in, take the cigarette stuff, for example. If, if no one had ever believed or if it really hadn't been able to be proven or whatever, uh, then we would all still be experiencing secondhand smoke on a constant basis and uh you know and, and suffering from it smoking and airplanes all that kind of stuff uh and then and then there's extremes like there's people like ted kaczynski like there's people that take it to the extreme and actually murder people because of their beliefs so it can have devastating life life altering consequences where including where they kill millions of people depending on what the ex- well millions might be an exaggeration but like uh but not too far off the mark because if if someone in power believes in certain, like, let's say, biblical or, or, or religious kind of things, and they believe that they have to take some some actions in order for those things to be fulfilled, they could start wars that could lead to massive devastation. Right. So for we could say that for many people, their belief in a conspiracy that is not likely to be true is generally harmless. But... We could also say that those people who believe in it, and especially those who propagate the idea, contribute to the social movement that affects other people to buy into that idea. Because the fact is, is that there are billions of potential conspiracy theories out there, and only some of them get propagated through a society based on the general movement, if you will, the grassroots belief system in it. And so when that happens, then you have people in power, like you say, or movements that are created that can be very harmful. And when you have a lifestyle or a society lifestyle that doesn't follow facts, then you're much more likely to be susceptible to things that aren't factual and therefore make a lot of bad choices. For example, there's a lot of HIV AIDS conspiracy theories since it was you know, discovered in the 80s. For example, Big Pharma promotes the quote-unquote HIV hypothesis. Uh, if you've ever heard that, there's the HIV hypothesis, and that's what? the conspiracy... Th- well, because they're trying to say, look, it's just an hypothesis that oh. HIV causes any problems. Or causes, right. Okay. And the HIV hypothesis is Big Pharma's way of selling us a bunch of very expensive drugs. Oh. And... Uh, where HIV is very prevalent, for example, in Africa, there's a lot of conspiracy theory uh, adherence that results in actual... They've studied this, and they found that it actually stops people from using condoms, 
which actually leads to people contracting HIV. The president of South Africa in the 2000s believed in these theories and thus didn't implement treatment programs in South Africa. I've just read this on the internet. Actually, I read this in a research article, so, you know, I could be wrong. But, well, but, but was and, and research found that this, was, this led to approximately 330,000 oh. people dying in South oh, Africa. Oh, man. So, so, yeah, it's potentially millions. So this is the kind of thing where it wasn't one of those, like, oh, this is just a way for the West to vaccinate us to become infertile so that they eliminate us or something like that. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there are climate change conspiracy theories, and obviously when we have that, then we have voters and politicians who adhere to that, and we have lack of movement, and we're going to have not only ecological you know, problems in the future. We already do have ecological problems, but, but lots yeah. of people are going to die. Lots of people are going to be displaced. Economies are going to be affected. It's going to be a bad thing. It's already starting to be a bad thing. And there are conspiracy theories. Oh, it's just a leftist thing that they're just trying to, I don't know, take down corporations right. or something. But think how tragic, like that African example is so tragic because the reason in the first place why such a thing would take root is because the fact is that for hundreds of years, uh, the West was devastating African countries, uh, taking people, enslaving them, uh, taking all the resources, etc. So why would they not believe something like, yeah, the West is still tr trying to screw us over? You know? right. And yet this, the downside is that by believing that, they end up getting screwed over further. Right. And that'll play into one of the factors that we'll get to later that research has found that when you have a, a, a group of people who have been harmed in the past by a conspiracy, they're obviously more likely to believe in a conspiracy in the future. Uh, conspiracy theories are just generally associated with political extremism, which can uh, contribute to radicalization and violence. Uh, you know, it, it kind of makes sense, right? That, that friend of yours or that family member that believes in all those uh, conspiracy theories, you could absolutely see them if they aren't already a political extremist and believing in things that could lead to radicalization and violence. It just makes sense. Makes sense. Anyway, there's a lot of other examples of how conspiracy beliefs can harm human beings. So let's take a break and we get back. We'll actually go through the psychological factors that uh, contribute to what I'm going to call overbelief in, cons in conspiracies. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. <laughs> So, Berto, if a person who believed in a lot of conspiracy theories was going to try to convince the listeners right now to become a patron of our podcast, what would he sound like? I want you to do me a favor. Open your window. Don't breathe in, though. You know why. But open your window. Look outside. Look up at what the quote-unquote sky looks like. You see that? Uh, you might see a little yellow ball up there or something, or maybe something looks fluffy and white. Yeah, don't buy it. Everything you think of as reality, you have been sold a bill of false goods, my friend. It's all lies. From the moment you were born, it's all lies. Were you even born is the thing. Were you even born? Am I even talking to you? But fear not. Answers can be had for a ridiculously low price. 
all you have to do is go to patreon.com, become a patron of the Psychology in Seattle podcast, and you too can be woke. You can take the red pill or the blue, whatever color it is that you're supposed to take. You can take both colors, actually, because those colors don't even exist, by the way. Electromagnetic is bullshit. So, you know, do what's right. Wake up. Live a little. Become a patron of the podcast. Go to patreon.com. Okay. Factors contributing to an overbelief in conspiracies. That's my word. Conspiracy theories. The factors are that we'll get into are evolutionary psychology, personality, cultural and context and society, emotions, and cognitive quirks. So let's go into evolutionary psychology first here. Woo! So why would, Berto, why do you think humans would evolve a psychological mechanism, if you will, the metaphor of the mechanism, to be susceptible to conspiracy theories? Because it seems like a, a common enough cognitive thing that we might have evolved something in a different context that made more sense but doesn't make sense now. Sure. Uh, I could imagine at a very primitive level animals that are competing against each other, uh, they have to, they, you know, they have to evolve. They had to evolve uh, pattern matching such that they could look at situations with very little data and try to make conclusions that would hopefully benefit their survival because they would get the food or avoid the predator or both. So as you get a little bit more abstract and you get primates that can actually, you know, like do thinking above the thinking, so to speak, you might start getting, you know, these situations where like, okay, we saw that band of humans go by the other day. They're not part of our tribe. And we saw another rustling in the leaves the other night. I bet you that's that band. They're trying to kill us. They have to be trying to kill us. Why else would we have seen that rustling in the leaves? And the thing is that bands of humans that tended to think this way might have survived more frequently because, you know, the one out of 10 times that that was real, they would have died in the middle of the night. But then by just basically always believing that it could have been the case, they survived more frequently. And so over time, those bands of primates or humans or whatever become more survivable. And then you start layering on top of layers to where it's like not just about the rustling in the leaves, but like remember a decade ago when that one dude from that one tribe said this one thing uh, yeah, and, and so forth. So uh, I think that that's that one explanation. Yeah, well said. That's essentially what the theory is. The hypothesis is called the adaptive conspiracism hypothesis. It's the idea that humans evolved a conspiracy detection system to detect the likelihood of hostile coalitions. So that was what you eventually got to, was within tribe or neighboring tribes, you know, forming a coalition against you. It makes some sense, right? If uh, you are sitting there and uh, oblivious to the notion of coalitions forming against you, uh -huh. then you, you're likely to survive goes down. Your, your likelihood of survival yeah. goes down. Whereas if you have at least part, you know, of your attention and, part of your uh, brain believes in such things that they could exist based on very... Because a secret coalition against you and your tribe would, by its nature, be secretive and would have very little information. So right. you, you've got to be good at expanding on that and saying, well, I saw that little thing. What else is behind that? And we all have that 
that tendency, which I think all of us can kind of relate to. You walk into a room and everyone stops talking. We go, oh, are, <laughs> were, they, were they talking about me? That's essentially a conspiracy theory. You have a theory, an hypothesis, that those people have, are conspiring to, at the very least, n- stop talking when you walk into the room, or they were talking crap about you. Right. So expand that to governmental, global levels, and we have what we have. Uh, so that's the idea. It's called the adaptive conspiracism hypothesis, and it makes a lot of sense to me. And a lot of evolutionary psychology drives me nuts, but this one makes sense. Of course, it's impossible to test, but you know, stands to reason for me. In the same way that there's a lot of evidence that we evolved to want sugar and fat and salty things because those were rare things that we needed that were rare in the African Pleistocene savanna. Uh, and now we have uh, overabundance of it that we can shove into our faces. Um, it, it, you know, some, just on this topic alone, <laughs> going to the grocery store when you are aware of this evolutionary psychology uh, diet mm-hmm. thing, it is incredible to look down. You could walk through several aisles, <sighs> and there's not a single thing in that in those aisles that is. Is having anything resembling what we should have been eating, you know, in terms of the African savanna, right? Right. It's right. just like cheesy puffs and sugar this and, you know. Uh, it's heroin. Uh, cinnamon rolls and, you know, pure fat bacon situations. Anyway. Right. Listen. The percentage of the store that's that stuff is like easily 80%, right? Or more. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so uh. personality. Okay, let's get into personality. So some call this the conspiracy mindset. This is the the type of personality that is susceptible to conspiracy theories and susceptible or tends to perpetuate conspiracy theories in their minds. So the uh, personality traits that are associated with the conspiracy mindset are, and research shows all this, are interpersonal paranoia, which kind of makes sense. If you are generally paranoid about the people around you, like, I bet you that person doesn't really like me, or I bet you my boss is secretly trying to fire me, then you're also very likely to develop conspiracy theories about the government. The person you're thinking about, Birdo. So do you want to think about one person, or do you want to think about multiple people? Uh, oh, sure. No, there there are multiple people. It's just that uh, there are different flavors, you know. Some okay, of them so, are more, yeah. So of those people, are any of them interpersonally paranoid? Oh, okay. So like interpersonally meaning with people they know in real life. Yeah, they're like, my boss is against me or my cousin is against me, that kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Um, there is one person that I could think of that is like that, but I wouldn't actually normally... That's not who would first come to mind conspiratorially. Does but maybe person, I don't know. Does that person believe in conspiracy theories? So that's the thing. Is like I wouldn't think so, but maybe. So no, the, no. I I want yeah. you to start with the people who believe in conspiracy. You, yeah. You so know the people, pe- the two people that I'm thinking of specifically, I don't know that they are interpersonal okay. like that. Okay. I don't know. That's fine. We got a hundred factors yeah. here. Yeah. Disagreeableness versus agreeable. You know, they're they're just not very. Uh, accommodating or agreeable to other people? Uh, one of them for sure. Uh, but the way? other one is quite agreeable. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, again, these are 100 associations. Yeah. Uh, narcissism. I don't know about that. No, probably not. Okay. But yeah. 
I know people who are conspiracy theorists, people who are narcissistic. And sure. the reason why the, that I would say is that, that I've seen is that the people who have narcissistic personality for reasons that they developed early in life as a defense against terrible things, they have a mindset that says, I know things and other people don't. The th- mm. And also the things that run through my brain are awesome. And I'm not very influenceable by other people because other people are idiots. I'm superior. Mm. And so when you have, and also you have a desire to come across at dinner parties as if you know things and other people uh. don't. And so if you don't actually know things, which many people <laughs> don't know things, then you love conspiracy theories because you love saying, oh, you're just a sheeple, you know. <laughs> you know oh, you believe that 9-11 was what it says in the media? Well, geez, you're just a stupid idiot because I know things. You know, it's just the, the massive mansplaining right, 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 right. sort of thing. Um, it's also associated with insecure attachment, meaning that they are generally very worried about their attachments leaving them, worried about abandonment, that kind of thing. Does that apply yeah. to the people you're talking about? I, I, I do believe it applies to, to both of them, yes. Yeah. So the speculation that I would have about this is that when you are abandoned or abused or mistreated growing up, you were treated badly by people who had power over you. And that led to a model of others, particularly authority, that they're nefarious and that they do bad mm. things and that they have bad thoughts about you and you will transfer those uh, hurts and those models of thinking onto the government. I've seen this happen all the time. I mean, one of the most, uh, the, the biggest hypothesis that I use, the most common hypothesis I use when I see someone who has what I, what I would deem to be weird belief system, whether it's partisan politics or otherwise, is this idea of transference, that mm. when you are raised by authority that is not fair, you got a bone to pick with authority, and who has the most authority over <laughs> you but the government? <laughs> right. Uh, Machiavellianism. So when they study people who believe in a lot of conspiracy theories, they, at time it's, it's associated with greater Machiavellianism, which is part of the dark tetrad of personality traits, psychopathy, narcissism, this sort of thing. And basically, Machiavellianism is when people have a tendency to manipulate, to deceive, and exploit others for their own gain. And one study, Douglas et al. uh, in 2011 found that individuals who are more likely to endorse conspiracy theories, if they thought... Oh, people were more likely to endorse conspiracy theories if they thought they would be willing to participate in conspiracy theories or conspiracies themselves. So, oh, so this is, so yeah, it's kind of an interesting finding. It's like <laughs> they, they asked people uh, in through lab experiments, like, okay, here's a situation. Do you want to participate in this or not? And it was a conspiracy. And those people who were more likely to participate in a conspiracy were also more likely to believe in a conspiracy, which makes total <laughs> sense. If you yourself engage in conspiracies or would like to engage in conspiracies, it makes sense that you yeah. would project that onto other people and be like, well, of course the government is is tricking us because, you know, I mean, I would trick them. If I was them, I'd trick the, I'd trick the F out of the... the yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that That's kind of fascinating. Thing. So does well, that apply to your people? 
I think maybe to one of them, but it's hard to it's hard to know because uh you know, I haven't had that kind of conversation with them of like would you, you know, like you know, would you do this kind of thing? I do I do suspect that it must be true to a certain regard because I've often wondered how can you believe this one thing um and and this applies to a lot of those types of comments I see online and things and and it it can only be to a certain extent that it's like I think you would do this therefore you don't think it's that bizarre that someone else would do it right so <laughs> but I haven't I haven't witnessed that firsthand right uh also People, this is just a side note, is that people believe in conspiracy theories, according to research, even when they're incompatible. So, yeah, for example, totally seen that. <laughs> you'll, you'll see someone who believes that Princess Di was murdered, and they also believe that Princess Di staged her own death. They, <laughs> they believe yeah. in both conspiracy theories, like wholeheartedly, yep, yep, yep. Uh, which, so which points to uh, like a more of a personality trait rather than a some kind of logical conclusion, if you will. Totally. Perfect example. Recently, one of these two people about the coronavirus stuff, simultaneously maintaining that it's not that big a deal. We've been deceived. We should really reopen. While at the same time claiming that China is hiding devastating actual numbers (laughs) and devastating number of deaths. And when... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Which one is it? But I bet you the overlap of those two theories is astonishing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We should totally be opening. And, you know, those dirty Chinese and their dirty dirty ways. There's so many. There's, like, heaps of dead Chinese in the woods somewhere. But, you know, let's reopen something. Let's reopen because that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that leads us into culture and context and society. So research has shown that big events in society produce conspiracy theories. So whenever we have a big event in a society like 9-11 or even a hurricane or a pandemic, there is a huge jump in conspiracy theory adherence, which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, and I'm totally. guess And I'm guessing that applies to your people that you're, yep. that you're thinking about. Coronavirus, uh, certainly anything to do with po- like b- major politics, like presidential precedents and and things like that. Um, also, yeah. ideological motivated reasoning. So, all of us, if we are, participate in society, even if we don't, we probably have an ideology. We have a, a paradigm, a belief system uh, that we follow, and, and a group that we adhere to. Uh, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, independents, liberals, conservatives, uh, German, Austrian, Japanese, there, there's all these groups, and there's there's an ideology in all of these groups, and some some groups are quite small, like white supremacists in rural Idaho. It could be mm-hmm. a just a cadre of 300 people, or it could be quite large, like. Every Democrat on the West Coast, for example. <laughs> so these are ideological uh, pockets, and it's quite clear that when we have an ideology, we have motivated reasoning. For example, research has found that when we have a Democratic president, like when Obama was president, Republicans are much more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. And when we have a Republican president, like Donald Trump, Democrats are much more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. 
So it that's an interesting finding, right? That uh, yeah. from the that they can actually study this empirically. <laughs> yeah, not surprising, but but that makes sense that when your party, when your when your tribe is in power, uh, you are probably actually trying to fight off the conspiracy theories from the other side. <laughs> right. And then when the other tribe's in power, you're like, ah, they're trying to screw us because that's not my tribe. Right. And that gets into emotions, which we'll get into later as well. But sticking with this category that I'm calling culture on context. Uh, members of, stig- of stigmatized minority groups are prone to conspiracy theories because they've seen how the power system treats their group. Um, I don't have any good examples of this because I actually don't want to trigger our listeners, but <laughs> just let it be known that uh, <laughs> groups of stigmatized groups like African Americans or Chinese Americans or Jewish Americans or uh, whatever, any, any stigmatized minority group, they research has shown that when someone believes they are a part of that group, they're more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory. Another phenomenon in society is what we call collective narcissism. So this is believing that your in-group is superior to the out-group. So in, in social psychology, we have this concept called in-group, out-group. So, Berto, you and I are in an in-group of this podcast, and everyone else is an out-group. <laughs> um, you and I are also in an in-group of progressive liberals, and right. every even like moderate liberals are out group right yep. um and so uh, we have we and we look to other people we measure every everyone around us like are you in group or are you out group and <laughs> we're we're always trying to gauge that, especially when something like politics is on the line right yeah. so like you and i don't just wander into a republican convention and go like well i don't know i just saw a bunch of humans i just decided to <laughs> like we would immediately say oh that's the enemy. That's the outgroup. You know, it, we would feel it in our bones. It would, and it would affect the way we see everything. So uh, now, some we've so that's just in group, out group, so, sociology and social psychology. But there's this thing called collective narcissism, which I'd never heard of as a research topic before. Which is the idea that some in groups actually believe they're superior, uh, and and all in groups are self preferential, but some in-groups actually have an ideology of superiority. And when a in-group has higher scores of collective narcissism, this predicts conspiracy theories about competing out-groups. For example, sure. uh, white, so white supremacists inherently <laughs> believe that they are superior to other races. Right, right, right. And there's this theory called the white genocide conspiracy theory, which is a belief that there's a de- deliberate plot, often blamed on the Jews, of course, to cause the extinction of white people. So, and this also goes into the uh, stigmatized minority group. You know, definitely white supremacists are stigmatized and they're a, they're a minority group. So they've got both of those things. They, they're a stigmatized minority group and they have collective narcissism. And that will, both those factors will lead to more conspiracy theory adherence. You know, an, an example that comes to mind of this when I was, as I was growing up, I noticed that uh, in Colombia, because it was a colonized country, colonized by the Spanish, uh, obviously the Spaniards believed themselves to be a superior tribe 
because they took over. They were more powerful, blah, 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 right? They also had their God on their side, and their, and since they took over, their God must be the right God, et cetera, et cetera. It builds on itself. And there was this thing, um, that this, this, uh, these sayings or these concepts of like uh, the, the tricky Indian. And of course, these weren't Indians. They were native South Americans, but that's what they would say in Spanish. And it was like, oh yeah, like the more indigenous people, they're always out to trick you. They're always trying to cheat you, you know? And it was this total projection because it, it was like, do you mean the people that were ravaged and nearly destroyed to extinction, they sometimes want to get a fair share and that's tricking you? <laughs> but that was a collective feeling right. that I, I remember uh, hearing, certainly reading about as I was a kid, you know? Right. It's a convenient explanation that yeah. avoids the reality that, and I guess that might be another sociological phenomenon of when a group f feels a tinge of shame and guilt about another, mm. about an out group, they conspiracy theories will be very comfortable to them because it will, it will exonerate them of, oh, the, right. of, the, of the shame that they have, you know? Um, anyway, so I just want to check in for a second. We have a lot of new listeners lately, right, Berto? That's right. And a lot of people out there have various different political beliefs. And you might have heard me say that me and Berto are progressive liberals. And that's because, not because necessarily we adhere to a group. We, we both actually aren't very fond of group adherence ourselves. We don't like to uh, identify with any, any group of people. Um, but when we actually take tests that try to figure out what we believe in, we believe in progressive liberalism, which is caring about the underdog, uh, using money that you have as a pool in your federal tax base and your, your governmental tax base to help people like people with mental illness, homeless people, uh, giving universal health care to all people, using the government to, you know, you call it socialism or something, whatever you want to call it. Those, those pesky um, Christian values. We believe that uh, government should be open. We believe that uh, we should be moving into the future. We should innovate a lot. We should be reactive or, or pro we should be proactive with um, certain things moving on in the future. We, we, we're pro-choice, these kinds of things. So uh, we have a lot of new listeners. And I say all those things not because I want to talk about it, honestly, but I feel like in this episode in particular, there are topics and language that I'm going to use that are going to reveal or my progressive liberalism and mm -hmm. my cultural pocket more and more specifically. You know, the right. way I talk about Bush, the way I talk about Reagan, the way I talk about Clinton, the way I talk about uh, Carter, the way I talk about global uh, climate change, the way I talk about all these things are in the language of the progressive liberal and to anyone out there who's a, who's a liberal, you'll be like, F yeah. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. But for people who, cause we have a lot of new listeners. I, in the past we've done a survey and we've, it was like 95% liberal people, <laughs> but we have a lot of new people. So who knows? Right. And so maybe there's a lot of people who are Republicans and we always know there are some or people who don't adhere to the progressive liberal idea. And, this isn't a political podcast, so you know we're not going to go into it. But I just want to 
point that out and maybe avert emails, <laughs> angry emails, <laughs> to say that I get it. You know, I understand that my language is going to be from my cultural pocket, and it's not the language. It is, it's not the truth. No one can get out of their cultural pocket, and I am in mine. And the difference is, is I recognize mine. <laughs> I recognize I'm biased. I recognize that I have, uh, I've drank the Kool-Aid about certain groups of outgroups. And so I continually try to evaluate that and uh, be critical of myself and my own viewpoints. Because as a, as a therapist, I treat Republicans and Democrats and all kinds of people, and I have to believe in them and like them and, and bond with them. Uh, for 25 years. And so so I, I just want to apologize to anyone who, I, I guess if you're still listening, you uh, you probably ha- at least a little bit tolerant. <laughs> um, so that's all I want no, to say. because they're just that. accruing more rage comments. <laughs> yeah. Oh, another thing I want to rage comment about. <laughs> right. And I didn't explain liberal, uh, progressive liberalism that well, but um, I, I hope people understand uh, what I'm saying. So... Getting back to so, uh, sociology here and social uh, psychology, so groups in conflict are more likely to develop conspiracy beliefs, which makes total sense, right? Yep. Republicans and Democrats hate each other, more likely to have conspiracy beliefs about each other. The U.S. and the Soviet Union, more likely to have conspiracy theories about each other. And, and uh, more and more actual conspiracies happening between each other, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, a strong in-group identity, which makes sense based on what we're saying. So, the more you identify with the in-group, the more susceptible you are to conspiracy theories, because right. you associate perceived threats from the out-group as like anything threatening from the out-group is like, okay, what's going on over there, <laughs> uh, uh, and then. Of, of course, conspiracy theories grow out of that. Um, and the last thing here on social psychology is lower educated groups. Oh. So do yeah. any of these pertain to the two people you're talking about? Yes. I mean, there's certainly politics involved. Uh, in one of the two cases, there is uh, that person didn't go to college. Um, and a lot of people from that generation didn't necessarily go to college. Uh, there is definitely infighting between the different parties, so that that happens. And uh, yeah, and and I think it, in in general there is a sense of what. Okay, I guess here's the odd part for me though, because one of them you were saying how when one party is in power, you know, the other party is more likely to have the conspiracy theories. What's really bizarre this time around is. When Obama was in power, one of these two people always flooded me with all these conspiracy theories. And it was all the, you know, we're going to be put in FEMA camps, Hobbit homes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the way up into including that Obama probably is either the Antichrist or at least a demon. Like, you know, just in real terms. This is what your person believed in? Yeah, absolutely. And for that, eight years, that Obama was literally a demon. Yeah, or possessed wow. by one or something. Wow. And and definitely all of the above before that, right? Like basically swearing up and down after they got elected that we within nine months we would all be rounded up into a FEMA camp. Uh, 
and when that didn't happen, it's like, oh, they're just biding their time, blah, blah, blah. That we were going to have all our guns taken away from us. And when that didn't happen, it's like, oh, they're waiting for the second term. And, and it didn't matter that none Do of this ever came guns? to pass. Do they have guns? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know they had guns. Yeah, and, but then the thing is, now with the current administration, I hear just as many or potentially even more conspiracy theories. But of course, conspiracy theories the other way around. Like they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to get the president. They're trying to, you know, like all the, it's, and the same actors from before are also still doing bad conspiracies. Right. The Clintons are killing yeah. people trying to eventually, yeah. you know, they killed Jeffrey Epstein and all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, right. So lower educated groups are more susceptible, according to research, by vitriol in Marsh in 2018. More susceptible to misinformation, more susceptible to confirmation bias, which we'll get into later, and more susceptible to the illusion of explanatory depth, and we'll get into that later too. Basically, believing that you you have deep knowledge when you barely know anything about it. So education does help with reducing conspiracy theories. But of course, you can have very highly educated people who believe in some wackadoo conspiracy theories. Okay, so that's social stuff. Now let's get into emotions. And this is a this is a very all these factors are so important. Evolutionary psychology very important. Uh, society very important. Emotions very important. Basically, the way that people talk about uh, conspiracy theories often, they're often argued in logical terms. Like, well, the Earth is flat because of this and this and this. You know, there's all these facts that people bring up, but evidence shows that. The, the majority of the reason why people believe in conspiracy theories has nothing to do with facts and everything to do with the emotions that the person is feeling. And what do you think is the most prevalent emotion in conspiracy theory believing? Fear? Yes, 100%. Okay. Fear is – so conspiracy theories – when, when people believe in conspiracy theories, research finds that that's associated with trait anxiety, meaning just you're generally an anxious person, with the perception that society is under threat, and with society's values are changing. I'm guessing those all three of those apply to your people, right? Yeah, I think so. The um, fear for sure. I mean, that was, the, you know, like I said, during the, during the Obama years. It was this visceral fear that their life was coming at the life they knew in the 50s was coming to an end. It was being systematically disassembled and that we were all going to be paying a very steep price for it, permanently steep. Um, And then now I guess it's the same thing. It's just, you know, like that. Oh, my gosh. Finally, we can maybe reclaim the 50s. Oh, wait, no. The all the conspiracy, all the all these Bad actors, the powers that be, are still trying to bring it all down. And it is crazy amounts of fear. Right. So when societies change, it tends to make people feel afraid. I don't get that because I love it when societies change. I loved it when we made gay people uh, legal to marry each other. (laughs) That was a huge change. And... I said that in a very weird sentence, but I, I loved it. When, I loved it when we legalized gay marriage. <laughs> I, I basically made it sound like I loved it when we made gay people get married to each other. Um, <laughs> but um, 
that's another conspiracy theory that I just started, right. I suppose. But when societies change, it, it freaks people out. That's the definition of, for some people, for conservatism, which on some level, uh, there, are, there are pros and cons. Let's just put it that way. Right. But uh, so when you have that kind of fear. Now, for some people, they'd be like, well, the only reason why my grandma is afraid is because of the conspiracy theories. But according to the research, it's the other way around. They start out afraid and then they adhere to conspiracy theories. Mm, so there's and then they so not only do we have these uh, studies where we survey groups of people because that doesn't show causality. Right. But when we're in the lab, we actually will induce uh, fear in people. So when you induce a lack of control in participants in the lab, that increases people's belief in conspiracy theories, mm. both by organizations and by politicians. And they also overestimate how much power their enemies have, quote-unquote enemies. So in the lab, they'll make people feel a lack of control through some way that they do that in the lab. And then they, then they take a control group and they don't induce the lack of control. And then after they do that, they survey both groups of people and they say, do you believe that Microsoft is out to get you or do you believe that <laughs> the president is out to get you? The people who they induced a lack, lack of control in are immediately more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory. So this, this lends itself to the hypothesis that conspiracy theories grow out of an emotion of fear and of lack of control, right. that it's not the other way around. Hmm. Uh, research has found that conspiracy theories are associated with feelings of powerlessness, the inability to attain specific goals, which is interesting. Low self-esteem. When you have low self-esteem, you're more likely to have a conspiracy, to, to believe in conspiracy theories. When you have feelings of persecution in general, when you lack a feeling of individualism, which is interesting. So when you lack a feeling of that you are an individual, that you have self-esteem, that you have worth, you're more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory. Mm. When you lack a way to express negative feelings... That also is associated with conspiracy theories because you, you probably have a lot of fear and anger and upsetness and sadness. You don't know where to put it, and you'll sort of put it all into conspiracy theory talk. Yeah. Distrust in authority, political cynicism, higher authoritarian tendency. So this is another – this is similar to that Machiavellianism thing, which is people who are more authoritarian believe in – conspiracy theories more because mm. they themselves are more authoritarian, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the last thing here is lower crystallized intelligence, meaning the accumulation of knowledge and facts and skills that are acquired through life. So, and that's similar to the education thing. So if you lack education, if you don't have a lot of knowledge, if you're afraid, if you are authoritarian, if you have low self-esteem, just a lot of bad things. If you're powerless you know, we can probably point to abuse and mistreatment and uh, abandonment and attachment insecurity, and that's where it all begins. Do your people have those things, Berto? Uh, I think so, yeah, because essentially there is there is that sense of... Um, I, I think it goes way deeper, as as you're pointing out. This has nothing to do... 
how do I say this? This has nothing to do with what is being discussed on the surface. Like, you know, take FEMA camps. Like, okay, like, I think all of that was just like little outcrops, uh, symptoms, if you will. Uh, and it barely even had anything to do with Obama. Uh, now, there were triggers, you know, Obama had a certain skin tone. And as much as people want to claim like, no, 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 I'm completely colorblind. That had nothing to do with it. Well, I don't buy it. Like, I don't buy it at, at least at a subconscious level, let alone at a literal level for many people. But the couple of people I'm thinking of, I think it'd be more subconscious than that. Still. Uh, and what, what is all this coming from, right? It's like, it is deep-rooted insecurities and deep-rooted oppressions that they, that they suffered and things uh, that really is not, it's not surface level at all. <laughs> and that's what makes it so hard to talk about it at all. Because th th this is, in fact, I'm realizing right now, this is why debates and evidence and things like that don't actually really move the needle at all. Because it has nothing to do with the, with the quote-unquote facts being laid out. Like right. you, the only way to treat it would be to actually have a, a therapy session. Right, and, <laughs> and take 10 years and cure them yeah. of the horribleness that they went through early in life. I'm, I'm having a little bit of a realization right now because of this, because I spend a lot of time trying to make rational arguments and it never, ever, 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 ever works. Right. And if it was so simple as that, their regular con consuming of regular facts would have at least given them some skepticism about the, the ideas, right? I mean, you laying out the facts that you know isn't foreign to them. It's not like they haven't heard those facts. They've heard this probably the same facts we have, unless it's some micro fact, or at least the idea that the conspiracy theory might have some flaws. But yeah, the point is, is that when people believe in conspiracy, there's a lot of people suffering out there. And we have a lot of ways of coping with that available to us. And one of the ways we have to cope with it is through this conspiracy theory mindedness. Now, why would people do that emotionally? Well, because when we have uncertainty, we, we want certainty, particularly if you have a lot of fear. And I'll get into more of this later. So the, the next thing, I, the last factor I want to talk about is cognitive quirks, um, including cognitive bias. You know, we tend to uncritically, confirmation bias, we tend to uncritically accept evidence that is supportive of our worldview while discrediting contrary evidence. This is a well-known thing. Uh, you and I, as progressive liberals, anything that comes, you know, we get 10 facts, five good things about Trump and five bad things. Well, all the good things are, we're going to discredit. We're going, ah, well, the, you know, that's just anomaly, or I'm sure that's fake news. But the bad things about Trump, we're just going to uncritically accept. I'm exaggerating for the point of, of this uh, discussion. At least I'll say that about me. And unless I put considerable effort into trying to force my brain to go against the grain, swim upstream, and say, okay, let me look at these five stories about how Trump did something good, and I'm not going to put a however or a but in there. I'm just going to read the story and blah, blah, blah. That's very, very hard for me to do given my ideology. So confirmation bias is a huge factor in conspiracy theories. 
when you believe that JFK was killed by all those other people, <laughs> whoever you want to say, and there's evidence saying that it was just one shooter, then you're going to filter everything through that through that lens, right? Right. And you're going to be, oh, well, you know, that test was... And you'll hear people do it. And they'll, they will just... I've gotten long emails from people about things like this, like right. vaccines. I, I've avoided the whole vaccine topic just because I don't want to get the emails because I've gotten <laughs> huge emails from people uh, from both sides, you know. Anyway, so don't email me. I don't want to hear it. Um, so the other cognitive quirk here is what we call the Dunning-Kruger effect. Do you know this effect, Berto? Oh, I know all about it. I am probably the pre- preeminent expert in the world about the Dunning-Kruger effect because I read a paragraph about it on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I came across the term in the last few years. I think it became very popular with the in the last three years. Um, yeah, it's basically a, a, a sort of a um, an effect where when you learn when you don't know anything, like you've never come across a top a specific topic, and someone asks you about it, unless you're a little bit psychopathic or something, you'll probably just say. Oh, I don't know. I've never heard of that or I have no idea. But all of a sudden this thing happens where if you learn a little bit, like maybe you did read the Wikipedia article or you had a one hour conversation about it with someone, all of a sudden you think you have a lot of knowledge about it. And then if you're asked, like, do you think you you know a lot about it? Then you're like, yeah, dude, I did a ton of research, right? Uh, I know I've I've suffered from this plenty, you know, where I'm like, because it does feel like, you know, you you read a whole bunch of info. You're like, wow, I know a lot about this now. Uh, but then it turns out that if you start learning more about it, you start realizing that actually you know very little about it. Uh, and then until a lot more mastery and many years later and a lot more experience, you might actually start feeling competent again. Um, so it's sort of like the curve starts high, it dips low, and then it goes back up. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So when when you have when you don't know anything about something, you're secure in saying, you know what, I don't know anything about that. So, and I have, and anything I have to say about it, I don't have any confidence in. So you have zero knowledge and you have zero confidence in any knowledge you have about it. Then you learn a little bit. So it's like, I know something about that. So you have very little knowledge, but you have tons of confidence. In fact, more confidence in your knowledge than the experts have in their knowledge. So with a little bit of knowledge, you have more confidence in your knowledge about that topic than experts have about their knowledge of that topic. Okay. So then you spend however much time to learn a moderate amount about that topic. Well, now your confidence goes way down because you know how little you know because you've looked into it long enough to know that, my God, I don't know anything about this. So now you have moderate knowledge. You actually have a good amount of knowledge compared to little knowledge, but you have almost no confidence. But you have a little confidence, but almost no confidence. This is me in string theory, for example. Like when I first learned about string theory, I was like, oh, I get it. And then (laughs) then the more I learned about it, I was like, oh, my God, I do not get it. And believe me, people out there, if you think you know it, you don't get it. The experts don't even get it. So, so, uh, so I, I know enough about string theory to know that I know almost nothing about string theory. Then, you know, oh, yeah, then when you become an expert in things like string theory, you have 
lots of knowledge, maybe the pinnacle of, of knowledge of that topic, and you have very high confidence, but not as much confidence in your knowledge as someone who has very little knowledge about that topic. <laughs> I was going to say one ironic th- thing, and I think this is part of what reinforces, unfortunately, the effect. In our modern world, especially, but probably throughout history in its own ways, uh, since most of like the big innovation happens from energetic youngsters that don't actually have expertise, uh, not to that level, uh, I think a lot of it is boosted by, the, by this effect. So imagine you are a young mathematician or a young physicist or a young computer engineer or whatever, a young artist, whatever, a musician, right? And you've learned a little bit. You've got your band or you're painting your paintings or you're writing your little essays about whatever. And you're certainly not a 60-year-old veteran who's taught and who's written dozens of... No, you don't. But you think you know. And it's that confidence that lets you write a thing saying that, you know what, Newtonian physics, eh, it's good and all, but actually I have a better thing. (laughs) Now, what we don't see is the hundreds and hundreds of those at contemporaneous ones that, that fall flat because actually they didn't know, right? But we see the ones that sort of a combination of got lucky with like they did have the right insight and oh my gosh. And so the net effect for, for us uh, uninformed consumers of this kind of information is, oh, I see. Well, if you have a crazy idea as a youngster, just do it because you're probably going to be Einstein or you're going to have the next big rock band and that's what, that you're going to be successful. Right, the, uh, but the, the numbers I- are not in your favor. <laughs> right, the idea is is that one in a million actually sneak through, but you got to have a million idiots to produce exactly, one, to exactly. produce one genius. Yeah. So you uh, you do need that that dumb dumb luck, but like kind of the, the confidence that comes with that Dunning Kruger effect in order for you to actually try to push through. But your idea may still not be good. <laughs> yeah, and another way of putting it is that when we learn a little bit about something, we we know so little. We don't know how little we know. Yeah. So you learn about string theory from a, you know, uh, some YouTube video and it's five minutes and it, you know, it, it attempts to wrap it up in ways that you understand and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, uh, at the quark level, things are strings. It's just a string. And I, I saw a visualization, a CGI visualization of a string that was vibrating inside of a ball, and that, that's what produces a quark. And then, you know, three quarks make a proton or whatever the F. I, I can't remember my, <laughs> my subatomic uh, uh, phys- physics. So I get it now. And now at a, the next dinner party, I'm going to be like, did you know that uh, matter is made of strings and... Uh, it's they vibrate and because you were told so little information in such a simplistic way and it made sense to you that you 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 feel like you grasp it but as you start to go into string theory as i have you realize oh my god that is just a effing metaphor for how to see things that we cannot imagine in our brains. It's not right. a string. There's not a string. <laughs> it's, a, it's a string theory. It's called that because we don't have language for like a blah, 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 blah theory. You know what I mean? Right, right, we, we, right, ha- right. we have to put a word to it that ha- it's in the English language. And so yeah. these people said string 
and it's string-ish, but it's not a string. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> these are these are. I can't even. I I know it has something to do with like waves in a in a field, and they are particles, but not. And they, you know, and and it's a theory too. It's like it's not even yeah. really understood. So even the people that are researching it. You know, they're saying, well, here's what the evidence is showing us. We don't really know what's going on because we can't look that far into it. Anyway, yeah. the point is, is that it, it's it's part of the learning process, I think. You know, you learn a little bit and you're like, oh, I get it. And then you you know so little that you don't know how little you know. When I'm making a, a scarier case to say that it might be necessary for advancements to happen radically. Do you know what I mean? Like, it might not, in fact, be as possible or at least as quick for humankind to advance if we had to wait 60, 70 years to become masters of things and then try to innovate. It may be that you need these stupid idiots throwing (laughs) themselves at walls and one of them goes through the wall for some unknown reason and turns out it's a new reason. It's a new thing we didn't think of. I like that you're looking optimistically about the pros of something very stupid about humans, but uh, I, I don't know about that. So examples from my life that I, that I could think of, I could think of many, but I remember one time I had a friend who had a, a fan in her bathroom and it wasn't working. It had stopped working. And so uh-huh. I have done a fair amount of do-it-yourself repair stuff around my house. I've, I've fixed things before. And... I had I had a little bit of knowledge about how appliances work. And so I was like, well, I'm going to fix it. And she's like, well, I think I should get a, someone to repair it. I was like, no, no, I'll fix it. So I get the tools out and I, I, I tear that. It's a huge, it was a huge fan, you know, out of the ceiling of the bathroom. And I got it on the floor and I'm tinkering with it. And at some point, hours into it, I'm like, I know nothing about fans. I know nothing about how motors work. I know nothing. I mean, if right. I guess what I was hoping was like one wire would have been disconnected and I'd just be able to like solder <laughs> it back into place. I don't I don't know I don't know what I expected to see, but in that moment I realized, "Oh, Dunning-Kruger." <laughs> totally. Another example is I know enough about the brain to know I probably shouldn't talk about the brain. So earlier in the days of the podcast, I might have been more prone to talk about the brain and about brain science. But the more I learn about brain science, the more I realize it's so complicated that I probably shouldn't talk about brain science, Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I do this about political things all the time. For example, when we were in um, Afghanistan— and for many years, I had a friend, you, you knew him, Wyatt. He was a soldier in he was special forces in Afghanistan, did several tours and died in Afghanistan. Yeah. And he, uh, I had, you know, I, I consumed the news and I, I had all these ideas about, you know, Afghanistan and why we're there and why we shouldn't be there and what's going on over there. And because it was in the news all the time in, in those years. Right. right. And he would come back from his tours in the in the 2000s and we would talk and i'd be like okay what's and i I would we would have political debates and i would realize that because he was a smart guy and considering he was special forces and um did a lot of things over there he just and just knew a lot of stuff he would 
be talking on a level that was way, way beyond my understanding of why we were in Afghanistan and what we were doing and what we could do there and what was actually happening on the ground level, because obviously he's there. And through those conversations, it was just one of the examples where I was like, I know nothing about politics. I mean, take any po- political topic, healthcare, uh, legalizing this or that. Like, I can have my opinion and I'll do my best and I'll vote. But I know enough about politics to know that I know almost nothing about how politics actually actually work. And and the Dunning-Kruger effect plays a role in this, too, because most people understand a little bit about politics, right? Because how could they know more than a little bit? It's too hard right. to, to know, particularly given the, the types of people who talk about politics in popular media. And so you have all these people walking around feeling like they know the answer to universal health care, for example, and they know nothing. And, and they, they're very confident in their point of view. And long ago, I, I said, whoa, politics is complicated, man. Like, I, I got to reach out to experts, like ask their opinion, what, what's your take on this? And and I try to do that, but I usually don't. And I usually walk around with very little knowledge and high confidence. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I've, I've done this repeatedly throughout my life. I still do it where I overestimate my understanding of something. <laughs> uh, at the same time, you know, examples come to mind. Like, imagine when YouTube was getting started, how frustrating it would be. Imagine you've been a broadcaster, like a professional doing TV shows or something, and you know all about lighting and camera work and whatever, you know, just like the works. And you see some, like, kid putting out these crappy-looking videos, and it's just like how disgusting that would look to you. Like, just like, what is that? It's out of my face. And then, then, and then you start hearing people start to talk about those as, like, legitimate entertainment. And then, and then a few years later, that person is making millions of dollars and you're still and, – and, and now they're doing – they're talking about the camera they use and the lens they use. And you're, like, throwing up all over yourself out of disgust. But that kid didn't know any better. And that kid was like, yeah, I can do a, I can do a channel. I can do a thing. You know, and so it's, it's a weird thing because, yes, it hurts us. It definitely hurts us. But at the same time, you, you kind of can't rely on people having to become experts in order to try things. Otherwise, we, like we don't. So how do we distinguish or you know, how do we protect ourselves from the really damaging aspects of this and yet allow the innovation? That's, that's an in- well, you keep talking about innovation, which I would also contend the Dunning-Kruger effect would be a problem. I mean... The West Seattle Bridge was built <laughs> uh, with problematic uh, situations. You know? Sure. So, so we don't want we don't want people randomly throwing stuff at the wall. We want the super experts in charge of all kinds of projects. Now, if someone just wants to be creative, like I'm going to try out a new thing on YouTube, for example, you know, then that's low stakes. You're not, but we don't want people in government with. Uh, oh, control yeah, sure. over or the general of the United States Army going, yeah. well, you know, I have maybe little knowledge yeah. about this country, but let's invade and find out, you know? So maybe maybe that's one of the distinctions is when, when, when we're talking about mission critical, life's on the line, like stuff, you, you just unfortunately or fortunately, you can't depend on random gut instinct from a kid. Um, however, like, you know, imagine you are in 2006 at college 
and you're talking to your parents and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of like quitting school. What? Yeah. I have this idea for a thing like MySpace. Like, what do you mean? Like MySpace is a thing. Like you don't need a thing like MySpace. Mine is better. Like no one's going to think you're right. Like no one's going to think you make sense. And you actually don't make sense. And you don't actually know what you're talking about. But you still do it. And you randomly sort of get lucky because it's the right time, right place. And you just, and your thing is actually massively successful, way more than MySpace was ever was. And so it's that kind of thing where like that wasn't mission critical. That wasn't, you know, life's on the line kind of thing. But at the uh, same time, uh, what's his face knew a lot about computers and knew a lot about. I mean, he knew how to program. What did he know about social networks though? Like, compared you know, to other people, he knew a lot about that kind on. of thing. Come on. <laughs> what did the Beatles know about music in reality, right? So the point is, is that Dunning-Kruger effect affects conspiracy theories. So yes. when people have a little bit of knowledge, they believe that they know a lot about it. JFK was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job because right. they read three articles from randos on the Internet. And they're just like, I'm an expert now. And... If they actually started to look into it, they would learn more detail and they'd be like, wow, this is a much more complicated issue than I first realized. I don't know what to think now. Um, it, and then as they gain even more knowledge, then they actually have more expert opinion and more confidence. Um, so that's Dunning-Kruger effect, which obviously is, is at play with a lot of people with conspiracy theories. Another cognitive bias is pattern perception bias. You mentioned this in the very beginning of this episode, when, in which we automatically search for patterns. We see things in clouds. We see Jesus in toast. When we're gambling, uh, we're, we're like, I'm due, you know, which, which is <laughs> it's not... my turn. Yeah, which is looking for patterns. Uh, so we, we just naturally do that. It, we evolved to look for patterns. It makes sense. But that bias towards patterns is a very squishy, imprecise, illogical thing. And when we look at society and we see something happening, like gay people are, are now running in the streets free to do whatever they want to do, society is changing, a black person moved next door and now I'm kind of afraid, and viruses are sweeping across the globe and, and people are dying and there are psychopaths punching people in the subway for no reason. And this is, this is all part of a pattern of the feminists are taking over or, you know, because <laughs> right. we, we, we try to find an answer. Why are all these things happening? Why are all these scary things happening? There must be some reason. And it's very tempting to look for a conspiracy because we can point to Bill Gates we can point to Donald Trump. We can point to Obama. We can point to the Chinese, for example. And we can relax and say, okay, well, now I know who my enemy is. Whereas without our ability to do that, we have to just contend with the notion that shit's complicated <laughs> and the world is complicated and systems are complicated right. and no one is in control of this societal monster. No one is in control of this. And we're just careening off the edge of a cliff, you know, in some ways. Yeah. And so it's much easier to point a finger than to accept the reality of, of a large complex system. And so pattern perception bias is a thing. 
as, as a very much related bias is agency bias. This is a well-known uh, measured effect that we have in measured phenomenon among humans is that we tend to see agency when there isn't any. So uh, like you see a car that looks like it has a face. You tend to imbue a personality, a soul in that car. Like if you take a car and they do experiments like this all the time. You take a car that looks like it has a face and you take a car that doesn't have a face. And then you you smash the car that looks like it has a face. People will have a visceral <laughs> reaction to that. The, oh, my oh my God, my you're, you're smashing that car. Herbie. Uh, yeah. Um, or the fact you know, of lightning in the ancient Greeks. It's like, well, there must, there must be some agency behind there. Lightning doesn't yeah. just strike out of nowhere. It must be caused by something. Oh, okay, it's Zeus. Zeus decided to throw that lightning down on the ground. Um, stuffed animals and children, you know, there's constant uh, examples, many examples of that we see agency, we see personality where there isn't any, anthropomorphizing these kinds of things. And so when we have an event that seems completely strange and scary to us and we want to know the answer to it, we will imbue a personality behind that event like a hurricane. A hurricane happens and people are like, well, hurricanes don't just happen. It's got to be God or the government or, you know, hurricanes don't just happen. There, ha there has to be, you know, pandemics don't just happen. It must be Bill Gates or the Chinese government or a evil Chinese scientist or the liberals or there, there must be a reason. And because when we grew up on the African savanna, most things had agency, <laughs> you know, right? there weren't a lot of abstract societal events that were happening. Most things did have a personality behind it, either a tiger that was wanting to eat you or uh, the tribe next door that were doing things. And so it makes sense yep. that we would have that bias. And the last, yeah, totally. the last cognitive thing here is confusion equals we dig in. And I basically talked about this before, which is that when we, when we don't know what's happening, research tends to show that we will dig in. When we're presented with evidence on both sides, we tend – so they, they'll take people like say with uh, – what would be an example? Like was JFK in a one-person job or a conspiracy? And then you you bring them into the lab, and research shows us that they, then you give those you give those people lots of evidence on both sides. You just say, "Here's the evidence for JFK was a one-person job. Here's the evidence for JFK assassination was a conspiracy." After you give them that information, people are more sure about their beliefs, even though they were given information on both sides. That's crazy. <laughs> so, so when you have this notion, Bill Gates caused coronavirus, and the news starts to pump out all sorts of details, we as a cognitive, as cognitive weirdos, we just dig in further. We're just like, well, I'm now even more, even though you gave me more information that contradicts what I saying, what I believe, I now believe in my idea even more, which yeah. again proves that our belief systems are not factually based and they're not based right. on a careful preponderance of the evidence that it's emotional and it has to do with in-group. It has to do with fear. It has to do with our worldview. It has to do with who is giving me that information and has nothing to do with facts 
And we are screwed as a human race because of this. Yeah. I, get, I see this all the time with sports stuff. Um, I, and I, I mean, I fall victim to it too because I'll have my, my UFC fighters that I like or things like that. And, and I'll, I'll see an analysis on YouTube and the guy will say, well, you know, on the one hand... Uh, he's looking pretty favorable, but then look at all this data, and then they'll show clips of the contender, and and, th- and 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 you know it's a pretty good point. But then they'll go back to showing some more clips of the guy I like, and then I'm like, yeah, see, look at how he t- tackled that one dude. Ah, uh, there's no question, and I'll totally kind of ignore the other points, you know. Right. And that happens, I think, frequently with people uh, with whatever it is they care about. Uh, we could, you know, we could relate to this from so many angles. Imagine you're having a discussion about uh, the Beatles, you know, and someone talks about how this other band, contemporary of theirs, did this one song that was very much like that and stuff. It's you're not gonna really be like, oh, I guess that's diminished my appreciation of the Beatles. You know, you you're stuck with the Beatles, uh, and and so I think when let alone you're reacting out of fear and out of like maybe some deep seated trauma and all these things. More so. Now you're really going to be like, yeah, but sure, you just said a whole bunch of words. But in the other words you said, you just confirmed what I believed. So, you know, I'm sticking to this. So some advice to people out there. If you have a family member with conspiracy theories, because I do get questions, particularly recently, about, you know, what do I do about my mom who believes that Bill Gates is trying to kill us and is uh, donating money to Alex Jones or whoever? Well, so my first thing is like, God help us. It, given all the reasons why research has found that we believe what we believe, it is it is a complex thing. So take it easy on yourself regarding that. The second thing is understand. Try to understand where it comes from. Analyze that first, because you can't just assume it's misinformation. You have to say, okay, where does this come from? And it might be like, okay, my mom grew up with an abusive father and hasn't recovered from that trauma and just generally is walking around with PTSD. Mm. Well, how do I help my mom with my PTSD? How do I help her understand PTSD? How do I get her treatment for PTSD? This will take a few years. At the end of that time, research shows she probably will have less adherence to conspiracy theories. So... that's the kind of thing I would focus on. And of course, as a daughter or a son, you care more about your mom's PTSD than you care about a conspiracy theory, right? And these are the things that I wish people would focus on. Or your your dad believes in some, or your brother or your husband, and he's walking around with a little bit of narcissism and a lot of past issues in his childhood that led him to believe that he was worthless so that he had to build narcissism to uh, cover up the deep worthlessness that he feels on the inside. Well, what do you do? Well, get him into therapy so that he can and you know, participate in the treatment of how do you help him to have worth and how do you help him to not rely on narcissistic defensive structures to protect himself? And then he will believe in less narcissistic or less conspiracy theories, and he'll be more open to influence from the outside. So it's a complex question. How do you get someone to stop believing in conspiracy theories? It's much more difficult than you believe. And it's hard to know why someone, if, you don't, if you're not close to them, why they would believe in a conspiracy theory. And sometimes people just believe in conspiracy theories because uh, it just makes sense to them <laughs> and has nothing to do with these other things. 
Right. Uh, so, so that's another factor. So in, in conclusion, I'm just going to go through all the factors again. So we have evolutionary psychology, the adaptive conspiracism hypothesis. We potentially evolved a mechanism to notice when coalitions were forming outside of us uh, with very little information because it helped our survival. Personality. So if you're generally paranoid, if you're generally disagreeable, if you're generally narcissistic, if, you're, if you generally have insecure attachment style, if you're generally Machiavellian, then you're much more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory. Culture and context. Whenever you have a big event, whenever there's an ideology that's present, whenever there's a stigmatized minority group, whenever, whenever you have collective narcissism within that in-group, Whenever there's conflict between groups, whenever you have a strong in-group identity, and when you have a low-educated group, you're much more likely to see conspiracy theories emerge. Emotions. When you're afraid, essentially. When you believe society is changing. When you feel lack of control. When you feel persecuted. When you feel like you lack self-esteem and individualism. Uh, when you are generally more authoritarian. When you lack crystallized knowledge, you know, knowledge about things that you've learned, when you feel powerless, these all lend to, I think, an overall schema of powerlessness and fear in which conspiracy theories will become very attractive to you. And then we have all the cognitive things. You have confirmation bias, Dunning-Kruger, pattern perception, agency bias, and we dig in when we're confused. You add all these things in and you got an S-ton of conspiracy theories swirling around the world, never-ending, and always present in every society at every level, and there's nothing we can do about it. Right, Berto? Well, there's especially nothing we can do about it because uh, the reptiles are trying to keep us from doing anything about it. So, Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. What do you think? Comment below. Email us. Try to be nice. I have very thin skin, honestly. <laughs> And take care of yourself because you deserve it.